Welcome to IntelliCast, powered by Skip. the recording with everybody if that's okay yeah sure wonderful so folks hello and thank you so much for joining us today um, I am so happy that um, we are able to continue our series of our AMAs which or ask me anything's and we are thrilled to have Babette Bessousson how did I do Babette you did fine that's okay fine. <laughs> as our in-house expert today um, so for those of you that are not familiar with the AMA, um, I just basically what this is, it's a quick hitting 30 minute program and the content is actually driven by you, our attendees. Uh, these, we're gonna be answering the questions that you submitted upon registration. Um, and our, our topic today is, are you making the right decisions? I just wanna run through one more thing and then we'll get to it. Um, how the program will flow today. So first and foremost, this is a live program and your computer will stream both the audio and the video. So please ensure that your audio and video are on. Uh, we would love to see your faces if you are so inclined. Um, all participants are muted during the duration of the 30 minute program. Um, the questions that were submitted during the registration process, we will get to them as many as we can during this 30 minute time. And anything we don't get to, I will send along to Babette and she will be uh, kind enough to hopefully answer them for us and I'll distribute them back out to everyone. And last Michelle, but not least, yes. Oh, sorry, Michelle. Um, sorry to interrupt. If, if anyone has an, an extra question, can they put them in the chat room? That's where I'm going next. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. My other question, my other point was, um, if you do have a, a question as we go along, please feel free to either unmute yourself or you can, there's a chat feature right on your um, Zoom time or zoom control panel on the bottom just feel free to type it in um i will ask babette if she doesn't see it first and we will get to as many of those as we possibly can the idea about this whole thing is to have a really open honest yeah. banging conversation and we really really encourage all of our attendees to really be a part of it because as charming as babette and i are we're not the main we're not the main crux of it we want to hear what you guys have to say um so with that, I'm actually going to introduce you to Babette. And Babette, thank you so much for being with us. It is such an honor to have you. My pleasure, my pleasure. Um, and I'm, I'm really chaffed, as we say, to be here. But um, so what we're talking about today and what I'm going to focus on in the questions was about making better decisions. And this is one of the key issues I've learned over the past 25 years in competitive intelligence and strategy. Um, and it's, it's getting harder and harder with technology, with a whole heap of things that are happening around us for executives and business people to make better decisions, let alone ourselves to make better decisions. But just quickly to give you a brief rundown of my background for those of you who I don't know and haven't met me, um, I've been doing CI projects for about 25 years. God help me. 
no, five minutes. 20 years. Um, <laughs> and I've done some research as well. I'm a researcher on decision making. I've sit on a number of boards. I have over the past a number of government boards and not-for-profit boards. I'm currently the chairman of a not-for-profit boards up here. Um, I'm an adjunct professor, so I teach strategy and competition in MBA programs. Um, most of you would know the books that Craig Fleischer, my wonderful co-author, and I have written that are used <laughs> for analysis around the world. And of course, um, in the past, ooh, I'd say eight years, I've worked, um, I'm a certified and accredited uh, life leadership and business coach. So um, that's a little background about me. But what I want to start off with before I answer the questions is this. You know, it's very easy for any executive to cut costs, you know, except for the human factor. Please don't think I don't say that. But to grow revenues, if you do not understand the external world, you cannot grow your revenues. And that's why if people don't understand the external world in which they operate, whether individually or as a, an organization, how do you grow your revenues? So for organizations, that's important. So I'm going to start with the first question. And that was from Richard Caldwell. How would you set up reporting processed intelligence to senior leadership to set the stage that this is a perspective? Richard, what I've learned is that I would always look at the critical success factors of the business. And your critical success factors would often come out of your business plan. And it is those critical success factors that would drive your first competitive intelligence uh, reporting system if you haven't been given specific questions. So I would always, always look, what are the organization's critical success factors identified in the strategic business plan? And that's where I would start to lay my foundation because the strategic business plan, I'm assuming, would be focused on growth, on increasing revenues, on increasing market share, on doing something that expands the business in some way for some objective. It would not be to decrease market share. It would be to innovate, to look at something. So from the strategic business plan, even from a vision statement, you can identify some critical success factors. And that is where I would start the reporting. Because if you can tell people, hey guys, we're not addressing the critical success factors anymore, we've moved away or we're not doing this, then there's an issue. Um, so that's number one that I would do. Hope that gives the answer to that one. Babette? Yeah. So regarding that now, that makes perfect sense, what you've said. Yep. But there obviously has to be some sort of flexibility in that, especially in these times where we're all dealing with the COVID-19 issues and cost cuttings and you know, mission statements, vision statements, all that stuff's got to change. Um, I realize that this is kind of off track, but I think it should be, we should probably just touch on. I agree, Michelle. But the thing is that you know, some companies have really excelled 
during the COVID-19. Yeah. yeah. So some have excelled. How have they excelled? They've put in new technology in the way mm -hmm. people are working together. You know, they're still working on what are the critical success factors for the organization to survive during the pandemic. Yeah. What are the critical success factors to, you know, that we need to have in place? The more you can help them make better decisions around those critical success factors, I think the better off your business is going to be. Yeah. You know, why have some organizations in a particular industry thrived while other organizations in the same industry are struggling? You know, this would be interesting to give to your, you know, identify what it is, why it is. That's something so, that, yeah, I agree with you. That's something that I've actually wondered about because, you know, you do see in the same industry, many companies that have excelled, have manipulated, have stopped on a dime and rotated. Yes. And some just can't Fine. get out of their own way. Yep. Yep. And that, you know, that comes to the next question. Yep. How exactly. do I help a narcissistic boss get out of his own uh, bad, blended way? How do you avoid analysis without paralysis? So first of all, if you're working for a narcissistic boss, change jobs. You can't change a narcissistic boss without the narcissistic boss undertaking therapy. And the narcissistic boss believes they know everything already. So in answer to that question, how do you help a narcissistic boss get out of his own way? You can't. As an employee, you can't. They believe they know everything. And, and it, you know, my, my advice, get another job because you can't change a person. They don't get voted out every four years. <laughs> so, <laughs> they often, because they, you know, they know how to um, smooth the board and everything. Yeah. And, and, you know, how do you avoid analysis, paralysis by analysis? You know, Richard Hoyer, from, did a study on CIA analysts and he found that a lot of analysts, he, he did the psychology of analysis and he found that a lot of analysis um, gather far more information than they really need. And it's the same. So I always use the image of a jigsaw puzzle. So if you've got 70% of the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle, do you need more? Often you don't. With 70% of the jigsaw puzzle, you can identify that it's um, a street scene or that it's a, a, a flower scene or that it's a, a well-known place. You don't need 100% of the pieces. The thing is that the analytical technique is like the jigsaw picture. If you have a good, the appropriate analytical technique, you don't need 100% of all the boxes ticked and cross-checked and all of that. You'll know. So if you're doing, let's say, Porter's Five Forces, you don't need every box 100% completed to perfection. 
you will, if you get 70% of the information in your boxes, you're done. Yep. You get a pretty good idea. And that's what people tend to uh, feel. They need to get more information than they really need rather than asking the question, what is this beginning to tell us? And that's what, that's what's so important is um, focusing on what is it telling us? Because, you know, you could get a hundred percent of the information. Right. And by the time you tell the, the executive, it's too late. It's too late. The puzzle you know. shape has changed. <laughs> yeah. Okay. How do we, exp okay. I don't know if Lyndon Johnson is this. He on the just phone. joined. He actually just joined. So I'm okay, actually going to unmute him if you don't mind. Because I did not understand his question, and that's why I'd like clarification. How can we establish controls for experiments designed to gather CI? What does he mean by experiments? Lyndon, you, what do you mean? Yeah, um, just testing um, hypotheses. So, um, using assumptions and, and basically testing them. It's a concept that um, kind of lean startup methodology uses where you gather available information and you uh, come up with a hypothesis based on what you think you know. And then right. you it. And so the question is around how do you kind of set up a control so that you have some context for running the experiment to be able to interpret the data. And thank I'm you. I'm not too sure. Lyndon? To be honest, I, I've never had to. Um, it's interesting. When I've worked in CI, the, I've never been asked to test a hypothesis. I've always been asked, should we buy this company? Should we <laughs> enter this market? Um, we heard XYZ is doing drug testing. Are they testing drugs? Uh, how far are they in the clinical trials? Um, we're looking to enter this market overseas. Who should we partner with? So I've never, I, I'm really not au fait how to answer that for you, Linda. No problem. It was, uh, you know, it was a question. So I appreciate, you know, kind of addressing it. And, um, you know, I'm not sure that I know what, what I'm expecting by the answer. So I was kind of posing it really as, a, as an open question. <laughs> Love it, love it. But your second question, how can we help colleagues accept CI that they may not like? Boy, have I had that. Um, <laughs> look, I've got to tell you that um, we had an MD, a managing director, storm out of a room because he didn't like um, what we said. He had a pet project and we told him it wouldn't work because the market was mm -hmm. declining. You know, there were a whole lot of issues. He stormed out of the meeting and the rest of his staff clapped as he left. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So he would be one of those narcissistic bosses, maybe. No, right? no. He was just, he had a pet project and um, we killed it. You know, it, it happens. But I think, um, how can you help colleagues accept? What I've learned from my experience, Lyndon, is I always provide options so that, you know, if you say, so this example of this, this MD, why he didn't, he, he got upset with us because we killed his project, but he came back to us 
months because we gave him three options. We said, while he couldn't enter himself, he'd never get the return on investment he was looking for. We said to him, but here are some options for you to move forward into that area. One was to form a strategic alliance with XYZ. Two, to uh, help a startup innovate that would innovate the whole industry so that he would come in on the ground. We founded a startup company that was working in that area. Uh, partner with another one. And, and through it was, you know, don't touch it. So we gave him some options for him to look at. And I think that is what is critical, is when you say to someone, no, you need to do this, I always remember Ben Galad saying to me when I started learning back in the 1990s, he said, you're not paid enough to tell a senior executive what they can and can't do. Your job is to tell senior executives, this is the lay of the land and here are some options. You make the decision. It's your neck on the chopping block. It's not mine. And that's what you need to remember. It is not your neck as a CI professional that is on the line with regards to the decision being made. Your job is to give them as much information or insight to help them make a better decision. And part of helping people make a better decision is identifying options. And sadly, too few CI reports do not go that extra step, which is providing the options. Does that make sense? Michelle? Yes, it makes sense. And um, I think Tiffany wanted to jump in with a comment. Go, um, Tiffany. I would. I actually recently had um, this issue that they didn't, they didn't like what I had to say with my research. So what I did is I laid out the assumptions and I laid out everything so they could see exactly what was applied and how I did my research. And then I gave my professional opinion that this is a do not proceed. But if you want to do this, I caution you to, you know, so-and-so verbiage or go this way, this way, this way. So I laid out my, my opinion, said, be cautious here, and these are your other options. And if you want further research, I know a third party that you can pay to have the same research. Well done. Well done, that, Tiffany. That's what you're supposed to do, right? You're, supposed, you're not supposed to make the decision for them. Yes. Right. And I think a lot of people, especially folks that are starting out in this in the CI industry, think that, oh, my gosh, I have to get this, this right and it has to be correct. But that's not yes. what our job is. Our job is to give them to lay it out on the table, like you said, Tiffany, and like yes. put it all out like a Thanksgiving feast. They can take what they want for their plate. Yes. And to help them kind of take that in, you still offer your assistance going down the line if you choose this option, right. I'm here to help you and gather more research, but I still caution you against it. Correct. Totally 100% the same. We said, look, the CI process is based on three basic elements. The first one is, what is the decision you're going to make? So what does the analysis tell us? Because if you have, no, I've got to say it as an aside. Once we demonstrated what analytical technique we were using, people would argue about the weights we gave to particular factors rather than the technique or the information. So most arguments were around the weighting we gave 
rather than the information or the analytical tool. So it was really very strange. But coming back to it, so what is the decision that's being made? Never take on a CI project if there's no decision being made. Because what we do is we recommend them if there is no decision, we say, well, here's the name of a librarian or an information broker. They will do the job for you a lot better. So we don't take on work if there's no decision. Secondly, so what does the analysis tell us? And then the third step, now what are our options? Always. What, so what, now what? The three elements of a good CI project. Always. So moving right along. How does interpretation bias impact uh, fresh intelligence, impact strategic decision-making? Love that question. There is only one way you can limit biases or blind spots, and that is by using analytical technique. It is by subjecting the information to some form of analysis. That will identify where you have a holes where you as an CI professional have your own biases um, and assumptions and interpretations to limit the amount of bias uh, always it's your analytical method analytical frameworks are I cannot stress it enough are the key um, you know it, it's it's the only way to limit it I hope that answers that question. What is the greatest insight about CI in your lifelong career in the discipline? My greatest insight? <laughs> People think they know more than they really do. <laughs> I can't tell you, including myself, including myself. <laughs> but, you know, in, in me, you know, we have biases. We have blind spots, we have assumptions, we have interpretations, and we have limiting beliefs. This is who we are as humans. And right. this is the stuff that impacts the decision-making, the quality of decision-making. So I find that often when executives make a decision, there's a whole lot of blind spots or biases or limiting beliefs. So let me give you an example. Airlines at the moment with the pandemic. So United and American Airlines have been jumping up and down and saying, um, we're going to not sell the middle seat. And then they go ahead and sell the middle seat on planes. What do you think? Uh, I'd love to ask this question, but I, I'm cognizant of time and everything. What do you think the mindset is that goes ahead and sells the middle seat. You guys can unmute yourselves and answer that question because I think it's a good one. From a CI competitive perspective, from a competitive perspective, what do you think is the assumption or belief that's going on about selling the middle seats on air flights nowadays in the middle of a pandemic? Rogerio, want to give that a shot? I'm picking on Rogerio because I know him. I'm going to unmute you. Oh, he won't. Okay. He might have gone off. He might he have. Might have. <laughs> <laughs> Look, uh, my thought is 
that they have a limiting belief about profitability. They have a limiting belief. They do. They like the same old, same old. They don't want to change. You have a very poor management group and a board of directors. They are not innovating. That worries me because long-term, those airlines will not survive. They're going to keep cutting costs. And where do you keep going when you keep cutting costs? In a downward spiral. But not, but you know, keeping the middle seat does a lot for your brand. Selling it does a lot of damage to the brand. And I think, I think they've got a, a, a mindset of great scarcity. Lyndon is saying that it puts, uh, it suggests they put profit over the safety of the customers, which is like what you said, damage to the brand. So wouldn't you think, especially because this is really uncharted territory that we um, would think that there has to be some flexibility, creativity, not just towing the line. Correct. So here we have two airlines that are no longer creative. They have a management team and a board of directors that are not creative. They are, they are driven from a scarcity mindset. That there's not enough, that they've got to make money. It's, it's amazing. It to, you know, to, I think, to a lot of people who think that, that, that you know, there has to be flexibility in, in any industry, especially now, because this is uncharted. So your old way isn't going to do it. Like it just, it just conjures up, you know, you know, old guys sitting I, in the back room smoking cigars and, and that's what it is. And there's no flexibility. Correct. There's no, and, and for me, there's no innovation. Now, the thing is that these people, we need, we don't know what some of their drivers are. It could be that the board wants them to make revenues, that they've lost a lot of money and that maybe they're trying their damnest to keep as many people as they can employed. But selling the middle seat is, you know, for $40 is not going to keep a lot of people employed for a long time. So it's as if they're also denying uh, the reality to some extent. But the thing is, one of the things is that People do think they know more than they really do. I've always been amazed. I've done over 350 CI projects over the years, and we've managed to always bring new information to the table every time. So I think that's important. The other thing is in in that question about the insight, people are essentially good. I don't think they're just narcissistic or they're not listening. Um, and, and that is what's hurting them. It is their own personal blind spots. It's their own personal biases that are hurting the business and hurting the company. And that's why I think a lot more executives need either psychoanalysis or some coaching. <laughs> well, you know, old habits die hard, right? Yeah. So you know, yep. it's a, it's a, it, and, and, you know, these are instilled in them as people nine times out of 10. And, and this leads me to the next question, which was, what are the top three, what are the top three limiting mental, mental models for decision-making? 
uh, for decision makers and analysis. There are not three. Okay, I use a thing called uh, the bail. So the B A I L. And I think these are the four, not three, but four, I'm sorry, um, top mental models. B, biases and blind spots. A, assumptions. I, interpretations. And L, limiting beliefs. So these are the mental biases or mental uh, um, limiting mental models that get in the way of good decision making so what are your biases and blind spots what are the assumptions that people are making about the environment the world and where it's going what are what do i mean by interpretation um it's a spin we tend to put on things from our own individual perspective so let me give you an example Your boss walks past, or the managing director, the, the CEO, the, you know, the big chief walks past and has got this scowl on their face, and they look at you with this scowl, and they walk right up, and you go, oh, my God, what have I done? You know, you know I'm going to get fired. Uh, uh, I'm going to, you know, what have I said? Oh, why? Now, you're making an interpretation of that scowl that was on that honcho's face. It may be that he had a fight with his wife or his wife asked for a divorce or one of his children is very ill and in hospital or he has a whole important decision on his mind. He did not see you. But your interpretation is, what have I done? Have I made a mistake? And that's what I mean by interpretation. And a limiting belief is, is of course, we can't do this. Uh, no, that's not us. Um, we can't afford it. Or I'm not good enough. You know, we're not innovators. We're plotters. You know, all that kind of limiting beliefs. So for mental models that I use, both for organisations and individuals, it's what I call the bail. And the bail, I hope that helps, is blind spots or biases, assumptions, interpretations, and limiting beliefs. Decision, next question. Decision. Oh, Are there any other questions? Yeah, go. We have <laughs> reached our time limit. No, I haven't finished all the questions. <laughs> so that's okay, because what I'm going to do with your, with your say-so is actually send them off to you, and then I will distribute them to you our um okay our attendees and also write a nice piece that will go underneath this recording on the skip website as well if you're okay with that yeah that's fine and i would love it if you would come back and do another program for us because i think uh -huh. you have amazing insight and wonderful wonderful ideas and we i would love it so please say yes <laughs> yes 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 i'd love awesome. to michelle happy to work with you all Definitely, definitely. Awesome. And if there are other questions, please. So one, several things. Number one, you all know my books on analysis with Craig. So all I'm suggesting to you guys is if you need 
please learn analytical frameworks because you will drown in the amount of information that's out there, particularly if you're collecting from the invisible web, uh, if you're uh, speaking to people, you're drowning in it. But what I'll do is let me go back to the first slide. At the bottom is my email and mobile phone number. So I know you won't call me in mobile, but there's my email address. You're welcome to write to me. And Thank also, you, Michelle. Also, if you, if you don't get Babette's info, please feel free to email me. God knows you all have my email address. I will be happy to introduce you, make an introduction for you. And I will also let you all know the next time Babette is scheduled to do a speech for us. Thank you, Michelle. Thank so you much. so much, Babette. And thank you all so much for joining us. And um, have a good evening, afternoon, day, wherever it is you, you, you are in your afternoon. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.